Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. joined by Jen Fuller, founder of award-winning children's wear brand Etta Loves, which started off in 2017 with a range of muslins that stimulate the sensory development of babies, visual and cognitive development. To a brand that is now award-winning in 2022, is stocked in Selfridges, among other retailers, and has a large following on Instagram. A range of products from muslins to playmats and to blankets. Thank you very much, Jen, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. Before I go straight into the brand, I'd love to know a little bit a bit more about your background and how the idea came about. Yeah, of course. So my background was sort of um, tw- about the best part of 20 years working for an advertising agency. So useful things, I guess, when starting a business in terms of I was working with, you know, world renowned brands. I was able to sort of understand, you know, the role of uh, marketing and the different roles that could play. However, it wasn't as useful as I think a lot of other backgrounds would be when you um, come across an idea for a product and then want to actually turn that into a business. Um, So, but I'd had a really lovely career and wasn't really looking to start anything up at all. I just happened to be on maternity leave with my first daughter, who funnily enough is called Etta. Um, And it was during a feed when she was about, probably about six weeks old, when I realized she was actually feeding for longer and not fussing like she normally did. And when I sort of looked down to her little face, I saw she was absolutely, her eyes were locked on to a jumper I was wearing, which unsurprisingly was black and white, quite a simple sort of zebra meat mountain print jumper. Um, And she fed for longer, was far calmer. And I thought, hang on a sec. I sort of glanced to, you know, this sort of dirty heap of very plain or boring muslins that were perfectly practical, but that's yeah. all we did um, on the sofa and strewn around the house and thought something really interesting is happening here. Um, I wonder what I could do with this. And, and that was the spark that sort of then free fell into, um, into a business idea that started about six months later. And how did you, because you talk about, obviously it's the cognitive development about the child as well. And How did you get into that side of things? How did you research that? Well, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to put the credibility into the idea of my own. Like I said, my background has nothing to do with science or baby development. Mm -hmm. However, you know, I was as as a first time mum, I was, you know, keenly going to baby sensory classes and was learning more and more just organically, I guess, around what babies were interested in and what their vision, kind of how it developed, but still in a very light touch sort of way. So what I did was I got in touch with a friend who worked at the RNIB and said, look, I, I don't know what I need, but I need someone who can actually put some real science into these prints and patterns that I want to develop to put onto muslins initially. And she happened to know Laura, who's been our, our orthoptist from pretty much day one. Yeah. So I got in touch with Laura, um, my friend Kate had given her the heads up and Laura just said, wow, I'm so excited about this idea. She said, I was awake half the night thinking about it. I can't wait to be part of it. And here we are sort of five and a bit years later and she's still a really, really key consultant um, to, to put the magic effectively into the into the patterns and products. And how did it start to grow? Did it grow very organically? Take us a little bit of through the journey on those early days about, you know, how it started to grow, what challenges you had. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, it has been very organic, to be honest. There's obviously like any business where you are using social media to drive that awareness. You do sort of get peaks um, sometimes out of, out of the blue that, that can give it a little boost. But certainly to start with, it was very much, you know, hugely supportive friends and family. But I do mm-hmm. remember that, you know, the first order that came in in that first week, I had no idea where this person had come from. You know, we obviously yeah. didn't didn't kick off with a load of advertising, but I'd started social and I'd asked friends, you know, the power of friends and word of mouth just saying, you know, particularly because my my peers were, my friends were all of an age where they were having babies or knew lots of people having babies. So there was a sort of market sat there and I had such sort of faith in the product and the concept and how unique it was that other people could see that passion and were like, wow, this is really interesting. So, but I, I was quite bold with some of my marketing techniques. We, um, I wasn't afraid, I guess, to really shout about it. And we were living in Walthamstow at the time, which is a very sort of creative hub in, in East London. So yes. there were some fabulous baby shops starting up. There were sort of baby or baby and kids markets going on. So it was a really wonderfully creative and, and very sort of supporting um, place to, to, to start and kind of incubate this idea and launch this idea. But I do remember a particular influence she just had um, her second baby. And I remember turning up at her house, giving her a bit of a heads up, but turning up with a, a box of all the muslins and a litter picker because she had a cesarean I knew how hard it was to pick up stuff from the floor and she looked totally and utterly bewildered and I said don't say anything I know you're busy I know you've literally got like a two-week-old baby but this will help and that you know bold and kind of crazy as that feels like looking at the fact I turned up at her house yeah she didn't really know me from Adam how did um, you even find your address you stalker Oh, because she kind of was, she was a company in a sense, you know. All oh, right, okay. So she, she offered a service, so she was listed. And I did say to her on Instagram, I'm, I'm, if it's okay, I'm going to drop something off on your doorstep. Okay. I did expect her to open the door. But that sort of thing. And I think, you know, always just adding that extra touch of understanding the journey through mm-hmm. parenthood. So something like the litter picker was a short cut to going, this is going to be helpful. And so is this muslin. So it's those sorts of things. And then obviously that would give little organic boosts when it would appear in multiple stories. Because the great thing about our products is they're not sort of a use it once and pack it away. And they're very visible. You can spot one a mile off, whether that's on a high street or in someone's sort of Instagram stories or or YouTube videos. So so it's been this sort of just a very sort of a plod and organic, just trying really, really hard and, and trying to share that passion with people. And you mentioned Laura and you also have a designer that you work with as well that uh, were some designs. How far into the brand and the journey did you start outsourcing and bringing people in or have, you know, I would presume you have done that, but how, you know, when did you start doing and what was that process like for you? Yeah, so our designer Shruti was one of the NCT mums. So she was on the morning I'd had the idea. I went straight to a baby sensory class. And like I said, I was, we were in Walthamstow. So most of my NCT group, number one, they were all lovely. We were very lucky with our NCT. Um, and Shruti was a very talented and is a very talented designer. So she said, well, I'll help you design some patterns. And then obviously alongside Laura. So she's, again, been in it since day one. So they, they work as sort of consultancy. So when we're obviously designing a range, which isn't constant at all, it might be three times a year, say. Yeah. They will both be heavily involved. And the rest of the time, you know, they might be, Shruti might be updating patterns packaging or doing tweaks and subtle changes and Laura might be inputting in some scientific knowledge to update parts of the website or content um the first thing I I outsourced the first thing that first person I got um involved in the business was um fulfillment and warehousing so I had a full-time job so like I said I had this career that was you know had been going really wonderfully really enjoyed it but I was very aware that 
within sort of advertising, um, it wasn't easy for working mums. It was a little yeah. bit, you know, they expected you to come back five days a week. And if you didn't, you kind of made comments like, thanks for coming in. If you left on time to pick up the children, it just, it just wasn't, yeah. it felt a little bit icky to me. So I kind of knew that was going to um, not work out in the long run, much as that saddened me, because like I said, I enjoyed it and, and was good at it. Um, but the first thing I did was thought, right, actually trying to run this business, have Etta a day or two a week at that point, and every waking moment while she's asleep in the evenings, I'm packing. You know, I would get an order through. If it came through at one in the morning, whilst I'd be up feeding her, I'd go into the spare room, I'd pack that order, I'd get it ready so I could post it in my lunch break from my yeah. in, in central London that day. So it became a little bit, it was too much. So even though we weren't, we're not talking huge volumes, it might've been two or three or four, you know, 10 on a good day orders back then. Um, it still was quaking up quite a lot of headspace, you know, and the perfectionist in me wanted to write the most, you know, you personalized card saying, thank you, whoever, this means a lot, this is et cetera, et cetera, mm. beautifully gift wrap, beautifully everything. So it was taking up too much time. So the first thing I did was I outsourced the um, fulfillment and the warehousing just to go right that bit doesn't actually need my touch it needs to happen it needs to happen well it needs to happen efficiently but it doesn't need the founder to be writing the postcards I can still sign thank you on you know 100 cards but I don't need to be physically wrapping them myself so that was a kind of hit and that was I was able to do that I guess because I had a secondary income or a primary income really yeah job I've only actually recently in the last couple of years well two years ago I took on um, an assistant like a virtual assistant virtual because of COVID more than anything else, um, and geographically as well. So Katie is really key. Help, Katie sort of helps with customer service. We're very lucky. We have very few returns. We have very few kind of problems. Yeah. But, you know, people want to add gift notes and change addresses and things like that that are quite time sensitive. And again, if I'm head down in a, in a really key part of the business, you know, strategy or planning or updating websites, I might miss that. And therefore, customer service isn't where it needs to be. So Katie came on, she would do admin, she'll do any wholesale invoices. And, and that bit is a hugely important part. And then only last week, I hired um, a marketing system. So again, starting to recognize those things that actually, whilst I love having my voice as the you know, the kind of content creation, because yeah. you know, it is my brand and it's very easy for me to write anything about the business or motherhood or whatever it might be. It doesn't need to be me. It can be imparted through yes. someone else's voice as long as the tone um, is still there. So we now have a marketing system and I have a wholesale manager as well. Oh, very um, good. So these these aren't full-time hires at all. Everyone yeah. works kind of on a freelance basis. Contract, yeah. yeah, contract. So they're sort of locked in on a certain amount of hours or days, all very flexibly. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've made sure I pick people who it feels like a team. It feels like they are absolutely cheerleading and huge about the yeah. brand. Yeah. And um, how far into it then was, did you go full-time on the business? It was after I had my second daughter, Uma, who is now three and a half. So I went off, I left the same media agency, went off on maternity leave. And the plan was to use that six to nine months maternity leave to push the business far enough to not have you to could. go back. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. which was quite a big ask because obviously I was on maternity leave and I was exhausted and Etta was still only two and a half. So it was a very, it was a very challenging time. No, it's so, it's quite common. I'm, I'm, you know, clients I've had in the past or people that I've spoken to and they're like, right, okay, I'm going to set the business up on maternity leave. So then, and then I need to, it needs to be at this stage before I go back. And then my plan is to hopefully do X, Y, Z when, and you know, it is, it's, it it feels like a race, doesn't it? In terms of 
Oh, right, so. it has to be here to to so that you can leave. And you talked about wholesale there a minute ago. How far into so if you established the brand in 2017, when did you start um doing wholesale? Well, I think wholesale came quite early on, mostly from people reaching out to me. So brands that would sort of see, you know, retailers that had seen us, small, smaller ones, but also people like Natural Baby Shower, who've been um, uh, one of our retailers for about four or five years and are hugely, hugely supportive and will take any line, any new product. They absolutely get behind the business, which is incredible. Um, so I haven't really given it a huge push it's kind of happened quite again quite organically yeah. so you know I'm the kind of character where you know the other day we were in Ipswich and I walked past a really lovely kids boutique and I just popped in introduced myself said hello and said look you know if you'd like to see some details just let me know and she said yes so there we so it's that sort of seeing the opportunities yeah. and jumping on them rather than you know obviously now we have Sophie who's who's remit yeah. is to actually execute against a wholesale strategy but until now it's not been where I focused I focused on building the brand um, from a D to C point of view and the wholesale has just been a really nice kind of addition. But Very it's on the cut. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's been a, 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 you know, a decent size in terms of revenue, but it's not, we haven't pushed it. So there, there is a huge amount of opportunity there for us. And how did the, um, how did Selfridges come about? Oh, you know what? It's a real, it's a real um, exercise in patience and the right timings. You know, I think I was, I've always been so confident that this brand and the products are so are really, really unique and really something yeah. special that you kind of naively go, well, why wouldn't anyone want it? Well, of course, John Lewis wants it. Of course, Selfridges will want it. I just have to tell them. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, as, as you know, a, a, the life of a buyer, it's absolutely frenetic, you know, and it's not necessarily about them going, yes, I love it. I like it. I get it. I'll buy it. There are so many things going on behind the scenes. And interestingly, with Selfridges, we went in and saw the buyer there about three years ago. And had a really great chat. We only had muslins. I think we were just about to bring out the sensory strip and the play mat. And they weren't organic. They were very nice quality, but they weren't, you know, the quality we are now. Um, and she was really interested and said, yes, let's let's keep in touch. So I came out of that skipping thinking, yes, I'm going to be a self Three years in, I'm going to be a self I've, I've got my foot in the door. And then it just went quiet. And I sort of kept, you know, friendly kind of in touch with the buyer because she followed us on Instagram. And I yeah. could see still liking and in the background give her the odd nudge and it's just no the time's not right so I you feel a bit forlorn about these things you don't really understand why they don't see what you see however interestingly then as she went on maternity leave which was a great opportunity for me to send her a load of stuff and say look this isn't for any reason other than for you to just enjoy it you know you have been a support you're I always see you there liking commenting and being very friendly enjoy it and I then saw her tag her mat cover on some of our posts saying take a look at this. This is a great brand. And I thought, we're in again. We're in again. Anyway, (laughs) another six months pass. And actually, I think it was probably one of her first weeks back into um, after mat leave, I get a DM that says, what's your email? Can you send me over your lookbook? And I went, oh, okay. And then we're now at lookbook stage. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, we're here. But actually within three days, I had a PO. It went within, within one day, it was lookbook, order form are you in stock what are your best sellers blah 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 yeah can you do this pricing no this one no this one yes great there's a PO and it uh, it was astounding and interestingly this is the most fascinating part when I announced it on on Instagram and on, on our sort of social um media she commented and said you know I've been a big a big fan from the start but I was waiting to the right time where I knew you could pass all of our uh, requirements 
Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because as soon as I, you know, got that PO and got set up on the system, the, the amount of checks you have to do in terms of all of your, you know, the qualifying, the, whether your factories all qualify, all of your, yeah. you know, your um, eco credentials. And that's what she meant. You know, she, it's very hard for them to set up sort of fledgling businesses on their systems because we probably won't pass all of the very stringent requirements. But I thought that was fascinating. I've been watching and now you're ready. Um, and I do. I think that it is quite interesting that, you know, when when brands can move fast, they, they will. It does take it can take a long time. And like you say, buyers are busy. Yeah. But I think there's a real lesson in that in terms of keeping the relationship going. It may not be quite right for the retailer, right, because maybe you're not ready as a brand. Yeah. But they still are interested in your brand, still keep the connection going, still, you know, like you say, every, you know, you could see that they were messaging and, and seeing and connecting with your post so you know keep dropping that in with an email or like you said you had the opportunity to gift her some product and there's so many things that are about relationships and then you as a brand were ready to because you were able at that stage to tick all the boxes was it quite stringent um in terms of so you had initially it was the lookbook bestsellers and I think these are important things for people to understand when they're giving it you know when they're giving a lookbook to people highlight what's your you want to make the buyer's job easy so highlight your bestsellers and you know what are your lines that are in stock you know make things really clear for people was there a bit of leeway then with the costing so was it or because I know some retailers are very much this is the markup we need if you can't give that then we can't do it but with selfages there was a bit of back and forth it was a little bit of back and forth, which was great. And the key to that was obviously we have uh, Keith Herring um, collaboration collection, which I, you know, the, the long and short of it was there's a licensing fee on everything I sell on that. So if if you want that margin out of me, I will lose money. So I'm going to say no. And I knew they wanted that range because that's so perfect for their audience of, you know, incredibly stylish, arty and people that pass through the doors and, and on their website. So it was just a very honest logical practical conversation that says you know you know I'm small compared to so many of the brands you work with yeah and we meet somewhere in the middle on these and and somewhere else so just being quite flexible but also you know I had um I have someone who looks at merchandising for me sort of on an ad hoc basis so I'd got some really good simple spreadsheets so I could understand you know on this order so we'd seen the initial order we'd had the PO before we'd even agreed necessarily the prices quite bizarrely so I knew we had a bit more a position of power I guess than sometimes you would because we were confident that something was going to come through but I had a really excellent spreadsheet that meant I could go right on this order what are my margins but also what's on that total order what's profit you know Mm -hmm. so I could go well actually this is my bottom line but I only make this and also other things to factor in like the delivery they have a very stringent sort of 30 minute delivery window costs a lot of money to deliver in a 30 minute window and that's something another hit so I think it's just a case of being really really clear and being very organized with our costs to go this is this makes no sense this does and if we can meet anywhere in the middle I'm going to be comfortable with that pricing so and I think that it's important to, to say you know you you went back you negotiated and you managed to get a win-win situation for both of you that you're happy with who did you find to man- who did you find to deliver on a 30 week a 30 minute window just a it's D- DHL because it's DHL right yeah. okay. well interestingly the, the Selfridges um, warehouse is run by DHL 
All right. So okay. if you phone DH, they can work it out. Yeah, but it's up in Birmingham. It's not even like I could whack it in my car and go, I <laughs> And you wouldn't have been able to do that anyway from a logistics <laughs> point of view. They And I don't mean, yes, you probably could have done that if they were in London, but you, they, from a exactly. factory or like a, a warehouse is not going to accept you knocking on yeah. the door going, here's my parcel. I know. And my car probably wouldn't have been big enough to get all the boxes in. So it would have been, it would have been just a disaster. So yes, we've, we've sussed it. But that was a very stressful part going, how do I actually comply? Because there's lots of fines if you miss your window. Lots of fines. I, no, I know. And that's the thing that they're the kind of things that people need to realize. Yeah. Um, there is quite a bit of red tape and the bigger the business, obviously, if you're dealing with smaller boutiques, it's completely different. But yes. the bigger the business, you know, you're talking about different payment terms, you're talking about different, you know, um, things like that, like you're saying in terms of delivery. And um, did just going back a little bit to about what the brand is about, did customers understand straight away or was there an element of education that you had to do? There's always been an element of education because effectively we created a new term, sensory muslins. No one had ever put those words together, certainly not meaning what we did as a, as a you know, a commercial product. Um, and we were asking people to shop a category in age ranges that had always just been muslins. We were yeah. saying people hit right naught to four months, five months plus. And people were like, oh, what? And a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, black and white, good for babies, which, which, yes, that is the crux of it. But even now, there's still a lot of education to sort of say to people, well, no, we lean in a lot further than just black and white. We lean into the scales. We lean into pattern preference. We lean into spacing and, and all of these different things month by month by month. So mm-hmm. it's the most kind of optimized experience on the market for a baby's visual development. So it is, it's always education. And that, and that flows through to how, you know, how we have to assess the value of PR. You know, for me, having a little product cut out saying best baby blankets. Yeah, it's okay, but it yeah. doesn't do justice to what on earth we're about. So one of the biggest challenges we've always had is that that education, as well as obviously a desirable, aesthetically pleasing product. So and I guess it, in, in some ways it doesn't matter if people want if people like the look of it and they buy it for that reason and then realize through you how know, great it is and what it, what it actually does. With it. Yeah, brilliant. But I think it's really key for me that people get the most out of our products. Therefore, they need to understand different ways to use them and how to benefit from them. Um, um, I saw that you use parent testers. Um, I think it was one of the reviews on your Instagram from parent tester. How yeah. important is that for you? And has it has it driven new product development in the range as well from feedback from parents? Yeah, it's really important. I think, you know, we there's nothing better than someone else telling you that your product does what you tell what you tell everyone else it does. It's that social proof is such yeah. a it's why all our every review is hugely important and I love kind of video content and tag stories it's just great and it's always reposted because it's like look it's not me telling you yeah yeah they're showing you this is you know this isn't a one-off um so that's important and yes I guess less so the kind of product testers at the moment I think what I've always worked with though is I've seen how people have used our products so I guess a prime example is with our large muslins which were one of the first products we launched I was seeing people put them down over play mats because they were seeing that their baby was trying to push up because the pattern was stimulating them to try and see more so I was like well okay you can keep doing that or I can make you a play mat (laughs) yeah so I made a play mat and we're just about to launch something in the autumn which is another kind of iteration of how people are using things well I'll make you a proper one that does even more than tying something up or clipping something let me make something that actually is really really fit for purpose um but ultimately however people there's there's a huge value in the flexibility of of something like a piece of cloth like a muslin so it's great that it's so versatile and i've noticed that you've done a collaboration with peanut how did that come about 
I just got a random email into my inbox saying I'm the, from the licensing agency saying we'd, we'd love to talk to you about Peanuts's 75th anniversary, I think it was. And I went, what? <laughs> anyway, you know, when you sort of check yeah, the yeah. email, it goes, is this spam? Is this a link from my <laughs> yeah, bank account? Real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and replied, I went, wow, that's that's absolutely fascinating. And then we we met and chatted. And then the um, some of the VPs of, of Peanuts were over from Vegas and met with them and, and sort of showed wow. them the designs and concepts. And, and it was it went from there. So that was a really quite a big moment to go, wow, someone's actually spotted us. And yeah. thought this would be great. I mean, interestingly, it wasn't probably our most successful collaboration. The Keith Herring one we've done since, which launched last year, has been far bigger and far sort of more, um, well, it's just, it's been really sort of well received, certainly by press as well. Mm-hmm. A bit more of an impact. But that Peanuts email landing was like, whoa, okay, that's fascinating. <laughs> and that's crazy. I still, I still find it crazy when people go, oh, yeah, I mentioned to my friend, you know, I know you. And they go, oh, I know the brand. I think, how do people know my brand? It's, it's still yeah. mind-blowing to build something and it to just kind of leave your hands. It, I find it very, very bizarre sometimes. <laughs> and what do you think have been your proudest moments so far? I've had, uh, there's been so many, to be honest. Um, and sometimes it's not the biggies. You know, the biggies are great, um, like getting selfies and peanuts and, and, and Keith Herring. But sometimes it is a, a card that will turn up from a, you know, a parent whose baby's been in the NICU and our products have helped them get through mm. annualism. And that, you go, that's why I do it. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of that real kind of core of why the business exists, to yeah. support parents and babies that so those tend to be my proudest moments the recognition from a commercial point of view from stockists from you know collaborations that is just really affirming that we're in the right direction and we're doing something that people understand and want to be involved and be part of but it is that it, I'm always taken back to the reviews and the messages and the videos and the, the, the more private things mm-hmm. the things that really really make me go that's that's why even on the really hard days that's why we keep going I was like to say in terms of what motivates you when, you know, things are getting a bit tough or you're finding it a little bit overwhelming or, you know, whatever it might might be, but that feedback that you get from your customers. It is that. Yeah, it is that. And it's also, I think, you know, being as much of a role model to the girls as I can be. They don't like it when mummy's always in the office, but I can also stop at any point and yeah. go and have a play and come back and, and and you know there's a bit of an irony isn't it with with entrepreneurs saying oh yeah. flexibility because you kind of lose a lot in a way I had far more certainly you know mental flexibility when I could switch off because it was someone else's yeah or nothing really and, and you go from a nine to five well inverted commas nine to five to then yeah. what becomes a nine to nine or a nine to three to pick the kids up then it's yeah. then a seven it's, to ten when they're in bed yeah. and then a middle of the night panic when you wake up for a wee and your mind starts racing <laughs> it, it, it is absolutely non-stop and I think that's what I find overwhelming finding the moments to stop and genuinely stopping not just putting my phone on do not disturb actually stopping and breathing and doing something else I really love but um but yeah the motivation is certainly the promise of flexibility and the promise of it getting easier I think (laughs) and um from a a sales and a customer point of view where do most of your customers come from like how do they find you so a lot we've I've always been very sort of regular in growing sort of our Instagram and being very consistent on there so social media still plays a really big part even though I think it's secretly trying to tear us all down with its algorithms but keep chipping away keep believing that someone's seeing it um we've invested quite a lot in Facebook and Instagram advertising which again is really challenging at the moment 
but I think it's just that case of keep testing and testing and trying to find the right kind of audience and the right message to connect right now so that's kind of key but then we do get a lot of repeat customers you know we've been really careful about setting using using our marketing channels to best effect so something like Clavio or Clavio whichever you call it yeah um, having and making sure there's the right flows in there and win backs and kind of re- reminding people of multiple categories we operate multiple age ranges and those sorts of things so we do have a lot of repeat customers and a, a lot of people recommended we capture as much as possible where people heard about us and a lot is recommended but it's the usual you know google shopping you know natural search we're trying to do all sorts i haven't ventured into tiktok yet i was just about to ask you oh on no yet. i you know what now i've got a marketing system now i've got joe i actually i did say to her as part of the interview process i was like this is something i'm avoiding yeah. because i feel like it's going to be an absolute sort of time vortex and it feels very different to anything so it's not just a quick repurpose and we're not heavily particularly into videos or reels on on um instagram or facebook anyway so it does feel like a whole new bit of headspace and a strategy but it is something we've decided we will try and do that and youtube as well yeah absolutely definitely um tiktok absolutely and i think especially with the variety of content pillars that you have yeah and you know um just from customer reach and you know it's definitely something I would you know looking forward to seeing you I've only just joined myself but in terms from product business yeah I'm not a product business but from a product business point of view it is definitely something that you um will really benefit from how have you um the my last kind of one is is advice you would have for others and um two two questions would be what tips or advice would you have for anyone that was starting out um, in business? And the second one is if you had a limited budget, where would you invest your money when you were starting? Yeah. So the first one, I guess, is, is a couple of things to me. I think one of the first things I realized was if it's a product business, you just need to work out, I guess, what that minimum viable product is. So I wanted to launch organic perfect packaging perfect everything all these different marketing postcards and just thought hang on this is slowing me down and I think if you've got an idea particularly one that you feel is unique and should be being done like why isn't it being done there's a there's a benefit in sort of speed to market so that sort of testing the product offering before you get sucked into you know committing to huge quantities or giving up your job etc so actually finding what that minimum minimum viable product is and, and making sure it's you know, it's aligned with the values of what you have to have this product to be. So if eco-conscious as it should be is a really important point for you, make sure you work out what that base level is. So I think that's something for me. I tried to do everything to perfection and it, it slowed me down and it wasn't possible mm-hmm. financially. Um, another one that's been key from the very beginning actually is about finding, is a very, it's quite a lonely journey, particularly when you're, you know, working yeah. hours and, and really it's very easy to lose confidence in what you're doing, particularly if you're not from the background that you then find yourself in. So for me, it's been about sort of finding cheerleaders, people on the same journey that I can, I can share thoughts and ideas and share, share wisdom and kind of learning from, I guess. And that's been a really key one. I've been really fortunate from the very beginning, excuse me, to find people who are either a bit ahead or a bit behind or a similar place on their journey. And it just, it sometimes just stops it stops, you know, wasting your time. Yeah. Someone else has trodden that path and, and has some advice. So I think finding people to, to feel like a bit of a virtual team <laughs> and to help sort of help you make decisions and give you that confidence with, with some choices you're making is key. And I guess the other one is just celebrate the good stuff, you know. Yeah. 
it's quite often, particularly with, again, a product business, you plan the thing. And then by the time the thing comes out, <laughs> you don't really celebrate the thing. And everyone is going, wow, you've done that thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, that's been good. a bit like Christmas in retail. Christmas kind of starts after Easter. It comes to Christmas. No one wants to talk about Christmas. Yeah. But customers are really excited about Christmas. So <laughs> I think it's just whatever those little moments are, whether it's, you know, for me, I tend to buy myself a new candle. Nothing particularly fancy. I go, I'm going to spend 40 quid on a candle because that is decadent. And I'm going to light that every day. And I'm going to enjoy that and look at that and go, right. That's because I've done some really good stuff and I should be really proud of myself. Um, and, and conversely to that, learning from the lows, it's really easy to be, get, get knocked sideways when things go wrong. We had, I had some absolute whoppers um, in setting up and even sort of sorting the range out and working out what we were doing. Made some huge mistakes, predominantly around production, because I had no idea how to produce stuff. That was nothing in my background. But actually, everything I learned, either you never do it again. Yeah. So learned a lot in that point and you save yourself that pain or actually you can turn it into something quite positive and I think that's a really key one it's, but your go things are going to go wrong they're really going to go wrong they always do that's just a part of of life and a part of growing a business but that's a key one for me yeah it's that resilience isn't it because and but yeah. it's knowing that okay it went wrong but you can sort it out it's not the you know you just have to keep moving forward exactly and not get beaten down by the mistake or you know and or not give up from it because you can move past it yeah. well thank you and then oh actually the last I might get them to cut that bit out what about the last question yeah. in terms of the last question if you had a limited budget yeah. where would you spend your money where would you invest that money I think at the minute it was probably different when I started out I think at the minute it would be on generating some really good content whether that's photography or videography if it's something you're trying to show and explain and get people to buy into uh, an aesthetic uh, you know a, a thing they need to believe or understand I think that's a really key thing it wasn't really where I probably put my money at the beginning like I said I went more for the um, the operational side of things to release the pressure on me and I guess it's it all comes down to that person and what else they're juggling and what part is going to give them the headspace or release that pressure um, to do what they need to do. Thank you so much. Jen, where can people find you? Where can they find the brand? So we are Etalubs, so it's etalubs.com or just at Etalubs on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all the, and soon to be TikTok. Soon to be TikTok <laughs> as well. And I'll, I'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank That's you so great. much for joining me today and sharing your journey. And we hope you have enjoyed the episode. If you have, I'd love for you to leave a review and we will be back again, or I will be back again next Thursday with another episode of Start, Scale, Succeed and another great guest. Thank you very much, Jen. Thanks for having me.